Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead on 5.30 a.m. at 1.30 p.m. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'm the Communications Director for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. Now, as most of you will know who have been following along with this show, uh, we've been just doing uh, interviews every single week examining you know, different areas of the fight for human rights, different areas of the fight against abortion, different uh, areas of history and politics that apply to social reform and the abortion wars. And uh, last week, we interviewed uh, Paul Wells, who is a political editor at McLean's and recently came out with a, a very good book called The Longer I'm Prime Minister, where, where he goes through Stephen Harper's career. You know, in previous weeks, we've had people like Greg Cunningham, uh, Peter Hitchens. I've, I've got Gavin McInnes uh, of Tacky's Magazine and, and the co-founder of, of Vice coming up in the following weeks. And what I've got for you today is an interview with a woman named Kathy Shadle. Now, in conservative circles, she's quite well known because she's got a very, very popular blog, which was really one of the first blogs. Um, she was one of the first writers to take advantage of the blogosphere called Five Feet of Fury. And her name often turns up in the same sentences as names like Ezra Levant and, and Mark Stein because of her involvement in uh, uh, the battle over freedom of speech here in Canada. And... Well, she used to be what she called an anarcho-peacenik in her early days of her writing career, and she's actually written some quite humorous columns describing um, her views and her transformation on that. Uh, she moved to a much more conservative position following the attacks of 9-11 and began to actually write for a Catholic blog before uh, really starting to focus on her own blog. She's written a book of poetry, and she's also written a book in 2008 with Pete Veer called The Tyranny of Nice, which is a critique of Canadian human rights tribunals. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to interview Kathy is because I, I really, really enjoy her work, uh, both, you know, her shorter little blog pieces at, at Five Feet of Fury, but especially her longer feature-length articles at Tacky's Magazine, which I find often extremely insightful and, and always very enjoyable to read. So... One of the things I'd I wanted to do with this radio show, too, was just to introduce our listeners to, you know, homegrown Canadian writers who are conservative, who are pro-life, who have made big contributions in the area of writing and commentary and things like that, but that a lot of people haven't been exposed to, especially people of the younger generation of my generation. So, uh, without any further ado, I'd like to present the interview with Kathy Shadle of Blazing Catfur. First question I had is, is you've been quite well known in Canadian conservative circles uh, for quite some time. Uh, would you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm primarily known for my blog. Uh, it's called fivefeetoffury.com, and I've been blogging since about the year 2000, which makes me a pretty early adopter in terms of the blogosphere. Mm -hmm. And uh, over there, I, I write about uh, politics and culture and uh, occasionally religion, although not as much as I used to. And uh, as far as uh, other publications, I, I've written for the Western Standard, when it was still around. Mm -hmm. I wrote for the Toronto Star for a few years, um, places like Catholic New Times and also the Catholic Register. And now I mostly write for conservative websites in the U.S. Right, right. And like this this blog, I, I believe several years ago, got you into a bit of trouble with the Canadian uh, Human Rights Commissions, which ended up um, putting you in the same category as, as Mark Stein and Ezra Levant in regards to the fight over free speech that happened there. What exactly happened with the Human Rights Commission and your writing? Oh, okay, well, basically, um, I, I know this is hard for a 
lot of people to keep track of, and I do myself. Um, unlike Ezra and Mark Stein, I was never actually taken to the Canadian Human Rights Commission, which is something that I actually would have preferred. Mm. Um, right now, uh, my situation, and this started in 2008, is that uh, Ezra and I and a handful of other Canadian bloggers are actually be being taken to a real court uh, for libel, for allegedly libeling. Uh, one of the key figures in the Canadian human rights saga, uh, whose name I won't mention, but uh, there are probably a lot of people listening who know who I mean. Mm -hmm, I and think I do. Would often, uh, he would often go on the internet and pretend to be a neo-Nazi and goad people into, say, into writing, quote, hate speech. And then he would have those people charged with uttering hate speech. And for calling him out on this, um, he's not very happy about it. And so uh, he sued uh, Ezra and I and other people for libel and that was 2008. We still haven't even gone to court. Uh, frankly, I tend to forget that the case is even going on. But uh, one good outcome of it, there were actually several, is that I wrote a book about the the Human Rights Commission and it, the hate speech law in general called mm -hmm. Tyranny of Nice that came out a few years ago. And it's become kind of my one of my specialties that I write about. So um, I would have preferred uh, going to the Human Rights Commission because in many uh, instances um, it's actually... Uh, uh, less onerous than it is going to a real court with uh, real judges and real very expensive lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, but at this point, my readers have actually paid all my legal bills, so oh. I'm not really worried about the financial end of it. And like I said, most of us kind of don't remember that this is really going on. And I'm glad it happened because it gave me real insight into how Canadian bureaucracy and the Canadian elites operate, and they really like to shut down and silence people who don't agree with all their views. Right, right. And as a, as a Canadian pro-life activist, I can certainly attest to the fact that the uh, the Canadian left very much just wants views they disagree with to go away. And in fact, I believe uh, Mark Stein said recently in the National Post that he hasn't been writing in, in Canadian circles for quite some time because the whole experience sort of, of left a bad taste in his mouth. How do you sort of feel towards, um, you know, the Canadian left and, and how things have gone uh, since your experience? Well, um, I can really understand what he means. Um, it's actually no coincidence that most, in fact, all of the outlets I write for now are in the U.S. Uh, rather than in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, in Canada, thanks to this individual and some of his friends who uh, people might also be familiar with in uh, the Liberal Party, etc., I've basically been branded such a racist, uh, Islamophobe, homophobe, etc. Uh, there are websites put up by Canadian leftists uh, denouncing me that I'm essentially persona non grata in uh, Canadian media. Even though I have a Governor General's Award nomination, I've written a bunch of books, um, and I have a pretty high profile in the U.S., at least on the right, um, no one uh, would dare to book me for, say, the CBC or anything like that because, uh, well, I tend to win the fights that I get into on right. there. But um, I've just been made this a complete non-person by about four or five people on the Canadian left who are, uh, despite their small size, they're pretty powerful people. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., um, they don't quite fall as easily for all the crazy 
uh, name calling about racism and so and so, and they have a little bit of a, a better idea about free speech than than we do in some ways. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, it's no skin off my nose. Canadian media pays horribly um, and has hardly any audience anyway. So again, it's one of those situations that I don't really think is such a big deal. However, if you're trying to get an issue out of it's not just about you know this is about me spouting my opinions and getting a few hundred dollars but if you're in the pro-life movement for example you don't need me to tell you that um, the minute anybody hears pro-life they just kind of hang up the phone or um, they, they spread a lot of really bizarre uh, outdated notions about uh, the movement about what uh, what you believe and uh, so it's I understand it's very frustrating and the only thing I can say is that you kind of have to build your own parallel media I mean I look at a place like life site and that's one of the best sites about anything period right. it, I don't even call it one of the best pro-life sites I think life site news is just a great site that does original reporting that gets spread all over the world um, and it'll probably still be going long after Oh, I don't know, the Globe and Mail closes its doors one day because no one wants to read it anymore. I kind of see that far in advance, and I think it's a good idea for us to start building our parallel media universe now. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, uh, if we rely on the mainstream media to get our message out, they aren't going to. We kind of have to accept that and and stop uh, licking our wounds and maybe just uh, proceed in our own fashion. Right. Right. Yeah, and I notice, um, especially from your columns that you write in Tacky's magazine, that you're 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 quite, quite quite willing to take on any comer and quite willing to take on any group that you feel uh, has it coming. And you've written um, on one topic that I myself have written on a few times, so it sort of stood out to me. And you've written that um, male progressives are quote unsurprisingly sexist. What did you actually mean by that? Um, well, I spent uh, quite a few years on the left when I was in my early 20s, and um, mm. I literally lived within the peace movement here in Toronto. Um, the group was uh, run, if, if not out of my apartment, then you know it was at least half the time. Um, I lived with and worked with people on the left, uh, and I found that a lot of the men there were quite sincere and uh, trying really hard not to be um, sexist or or whatever. I mean, I kind of hate those words, but just for the sake of having a conversation, they tried to um, be sensitive guys. They tried to be right-thinking people. Mm -hmm. It was also apparent to me that a lot of men on the left were just um, paying lip service to feminism. And uh, I knew of a lot of very physically violent left men in the left uh, in the movement, um, uh, sexually violent men in the movement. And um, as I said a few times in Tacky's, one of the nice things uh, I found about being moving to the right uh, after 9 11 was that I really never encountered this among these so these right-wing men who I had always been told were these troglodytes. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the conservative men I know are more genuinely feminist uh, in the sense that they respect women and they don't think it's weird that I'm a writer. They don't think it's weird that I'm opinionated. Whereas I found a lot of men on the left were kind of always shushing me right. <laughs> uh, because I was this uppity female. So I, you know, I saw a lot of hypocrisy 
And, um, and that's one of the reasons the second wave movement of feminism even began in the 60s. If you read the history, it was people like Gloria Steinem and others who actually got out of the, the SDS and, and, uh, and, and other groups because they couldn't bear the sexism anymore. They were told to go and type and make coffee. Right. Um, so one of the reasons that we have uh, radical feminism today is actually the the horrible behavior of the radical men in the 1960s. So I guess it's something else we can blame the 60s on in, in a weird way. Right, and you and, you and, and, and your fellow columnist at Talkies, uh, Gavin McInnes, have both written that uh, feminists seem very, very threatened by women with lots of children, that feminism was originally portrayed as, as a choice between, you know, a professional career or, you know, choosing to, to raise your children at home. But now it seems like the one option, staying home and raising your children, is very, very frowned upon. Why do you think that is? Um, well, that's really complicated. I think part of it is that a lot of the women who did decide to uh, choose a career, and, and I would actually say that I'm one of those women, mm -hmm. um, but I don't count myself as, as one of the, the angry ones, um, are now, uh, they regret their choice. And perhaps instead of admitting, and it's hard to admit that everything you ever believed in is, is fake, believe me. Right. So um, rather than admitting that they wasted their, you know, 40 years of their lives listening to nonsense and then acting it out, um, and then thinking that these actions would have no consequence, it's pretty rough. So it's easier to say, oh, look at that woman on 19 Kids and Counting. She has ugly hair. Like, this is really the level of, of uh, I don't even want to call it argument, mm -hmm. these people indulge in. Oh, uh, George, uh, George Bush's wife, she was, all she was was a, was a school teacher. I mean, that's crazy stuff. And you can often tell when people are lying because the, the comments that they make like that are so uh, ridiculous. And, and sort of calorie-free, empty-headed, uh, are they're not even arguments. That you know that it's really the person projecting their own uh, disappointment and uh, disillusionment on, on somebody else. They mm -hmm. really hate Sarah Palin for that. They really hate um, any woman like that, um, even though by any accounts, and like I said, I grew up in the 70s. I read Our Bodies, Ourselves. I read Ms. Magazine. I can tell you that in the 70s, someone like Sarah Palin would have been on the cover of Ms. Magazine, right. and they would have said, look, she's a Republican, but this is this is cool. She's the governor of Alaska, and now she's running for vice president. You can disagree with her about this and that, but isn't it awesome? I'm old enough to remember when that was feminism. Now it's, um, you know, unspeakable things about Sarah Palin that I won't go into. You might have heard Martin mm -hmm. here the other day. So um, leftism is kind of devolving into this bizarre mental illness slash kindergarten uh, fight, mm -hmm. and I wish it would hurry up and just implode. Uh, meanwhile, while we're waiting for that, we do have to watch it. Sometimes it's amusing, sometimes it's really depressing. Um, and, and so I, I think that a lot of what you're seeing is just people who are personally regretful. They have regrets. They were told they never would have any. They feel ripped off. And so they're just lashing out at the nearest symbol of their, um, of what they could have had, and, and they made a different choice, and now they don't have it. Yeah. Um, women can't have it all, and uh, I don't know why they persist in believing that they can. Men can't have it all either. So, I mean, you know, men don't get to be firemen and airline pilots and whatever either. I, right. 
I don't get it. But anyway, uh, you're saturated in the culture of this message. You grow, you finally wake up one morning and realize that everything you've been told is a lie. It's not a great place to be. So I think that's, that's the only reason I can think of that they've just descended into this weird uh, fit of name-calling. Right, and that sort of like segues directly into, you know, the current abortion debate here in Canada, which essentially is, you know, a lot of grassroots organizations, such as the one that I work for, um, working on the ground and, and having a discussion with, with literally thousands of Canadians every month about abortion, having rational discussion about how, you know, human beings have human rights and human rights should begin when the human being begins. Otherwise, uh, we really have no consistency there. And the politicians who insist that the debate isn't open and ignoring the fact that the debate has actually sort of started without them because people like the uh, the mainstream political parties are still kowtowing to to aging feminists uh, in Stephen Harper's case. We're never going to vote for him anyway. What do, what do you really f- think is is the result of this this closed culture on this one topic that can't be discussed when everything else can be talked about? This one issue is completely completely banned from public discourse. Well, you know, I I totally agree. I mean, that's that's a perfect summary of, of what's going on. And uh, one thing that I hope it proves to people, at least, you know, this has always been my opinion, no matter how old I was and, and when you would have been talking to me, that, you know, political parties aren't really the answer. I mean, I realize that in practical terms, uh, you know, we have a parliament and, and so forth. But um, it's always a mistake for people on either side to hold up anybody. Stephen Harper, whoever is coming next, Jason Kenney, I have no idea. Oh, they're going to get into power, and X, Y, Z is going to happen, and then everything is going to be wonderful. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things that I think uh, it it leads to disillusionment, um, this kind of wrong-headed thinking. And you lose a lot of really decent activist people out there because they're focusing uh, on the wrong thing. So um, I guess I would say, again, that... um, if you just keep pushing, I mean, you, you know, you're, you're totally doing the right thing. Um, you're, you're talking to thousands of people. Uh, uh, I, I, I hate to put it this way, but, you know, when you do say aging feminists or aging, um, you know, crazy people from the United so-called church or mm-hmm. aging hippies, I mean, we do have to realize that there is going to be a generational change. And if you lay the groundwork now, um, that, you know, uh, one day things that you're not supposed to talk about suddenly become fashionable if you just keep on uh, talking about it enough. I also think that, you know, the pro-life movement has kind of an accidental ally in things that, you know, let's face it, they didn't have anything to do with, like, the invention of ultrasound and stuff like that. Right, right. The more that you you see, like, other stuff that is going on that you can't possibly control is, you know, by whatever force you want to call it, is going to be helping you make your argument. And what I'm trying to say is developments you can't even imagine and people you can't even imagine will someday come together to, to assist you in making your argument. No one could have predicted that years ago. I couldn't have predicted even 10 years ago that, um, you know, uh, there, there would be Judd Apatow movies where they, you know, the couple would decide not to have an abortion and millions of people would go see it and uh, buy copies of it and talk about how much they liked the movie. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have any kind of, you know, it, it was still full of swearing and it was still full of uh, foul-mouthed uh, jokes and sex gags. But I think there are probably people out there who watch that movie and... 
might have at least had a, a little sliver of an idea that maybe abortion wasn't always the answer. So right. um, I, I think it's a good idea to always make sure that while you're, you know, you just keep doing what you're doing, uh, do it in really helpful and positive ways, and then just keep your eyes open for all the different developments in the culture around you and realize that, you know, this too shall pass. And a lot of these people are not going to be in power forever. And um, if you do the groundwork now, then you're planting the seeds for the next bunch of people coming up who, you know, you won't have to convince because you've convinced them already and the opposition has kind of fallen away naturally. And, you know, things things like ultrasound, things like, you know, everyone I know who has a kid says, I'm, I'm pro-life now. I wasn't until like five minutes before I had my baby and now I am. Just, you know, the way that humans evolve and life evolves, um, and the culture evolves, I think you'll see that um, if you keep doing your part, uh, other stuff will come along to, to help you spread the message in, in ways you didn't imagine. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Kathy Shadel of Blazing Cat Fur, Tacky's Magazine, and a number of other great publications that I would encourage you to go and take a look at. Now, if you enjoyed this interview and you enjoyed interviews in, in preceding weeks, and I can promise you that we've got a lot of really fascinating interviews coming up in the weeks to come, uh, please go to unmaskingchoice.ca because we actually upload all of the radio episodes to our website after, after the show is done each time. And also, for those of you who are interested, you can go to the bridgehead on iTunes and subscribe for free so you can get the radio show uh, sent to you weekly. We want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in today to take a listen uh, to this interview, and we hope that you'll tune in to hear us again next week. Thanks. Have a great weekend.